It's good to be here bringing God's word to you and um, to be um, continuing this series in Elisha and uh, to be encouraging you in that. Obviously, again, we are going to have great difficulty getting through everything that is covered in this passage, so I encourage you to go home and ensure that you do actually read this and uh, consider what God has to say to you through this passage of Scripture. I appear to be having troubles with the slides, guys. Is that... Yep, thank you. Was that you or me? It was you? Cool. Okay, we'll see what happens. Okay, so this passage today is a very difficult passage for me because uh, Elijah to me was larger than life. And even though we're told in James 3, uh, sorry, James uh, 5.17, that Elijah is a man just like us, uh, I still thought of him who, who was, was someone who was a superhero. He was invincible. He was able to overcome any and every obstacle that was put in his way. And what we've read this morning is something that perhaps when we think about a man who was following God, it would come early in his life. But surely for someone like Elijah, who has seen God move in such a miraculous and powerful way, this time of doubt, this time of fear would be way behind him. He's a man who has experienced many triumphs, many things that he has done in God's power and strength. But what this, power, what, what this passage this morning teaches us is that all of us, everyone, is susceptible to what may be, may be considered failure. All of us are likely to make mistakes. All of us have the potential to fall on times when we become depressed, disheartened, broken, defeated, and quite frankly feel like giving up on our faith, our call, our ministry, and even our life. Have you been there? <laughs> it, it's very interesting standing up here. I get to see all the head nods. You maybe only see a few of them. But as we look around, and as you consider it yourself, I think many of us have been there. Many of us know exactly what that is like. And some of you are going to be going through that right now. And it seems this passage is meant to speak into that very situation. And it's not a word that leaves us in that position of hopelessness and helplessness. And the most encouraging thing for me out of this passage is that God doesn't want us to stay in that place. God doesn't want us to be a defeated people. He has a plan for each and every one of us who follows him. And he will come alongside us, just as he came alongside Elijah. And he's going to ask that question, why are you here? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you that it just speaks into our lives so frequently. And Lord, I just pray this morning that you'll open our hearts, our minds, to hear your voice this morning and to respond to you. Lord, I just ask that every person here, every person online will be listening for what you have to say, not what I have to say, and that they'll act accordingly upon that. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
I think as we look at this passage this morning, it's important for us to consider uh, what we know so far. And we know that Elijah suddenly arrives on the scene before King Ahab. Uh, We don't hear anything about him prior to this. And he's given quite a confronting message to present uh, to the king. And yet he does so in obedience to God. And he says, you know, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives before whom I stand. And then we're told that he goes to the brook of Cherith and he stays there and he remains in that place even when the water dries up when you know we'd say it was logical he should be moving on at that time he waits there because God hasn't given him any further instruction and then God says I want you to go to Zarephath and he travels to Zarephath the heart of Baal worship that's where all the bad stuff centers and he stays there with a widow and he remains there until he's told to go and present himself afresh before King Ahab. And in the verse of the passage last week that we read, the very last verse, we're told that God, uh, sorry, that Elijah had the hand of the Lord on him, and he rang before King Ahab's chariot to Jezreel. And there's no further instruction. We come to the passage that we've read this morning. And it seems that when we consider all of those passages, and there's a lot of other stuff that happened, as you're aware, when we consider all of those passages, Elijah seems to be this man who doesn't move unless God tells him to. Or is he, he is empowered by God to do so. And to be that man that we've read about this morning, Elijah is just obeying God. And for Elijah and for us, Listening to, obeying God and only move when he calls us in our everyday lives is the way that we should be living. We should be listening for God's instructions. And in each of our lives, there's things that build us up, things that edify us, but there's also things which hinder us. Think about Elijah. Here is this man who, before the passage that we've read this morning, only a couple of days previously, he has stood before the 450 prophets of Baal. He has stood before King Ahab and all the king's entourage, which would have been quite substantial. He has stood before all the people of Israel. And he didn't back down. He wasn't fearful. He confronted what was going on with them. And then he comes to Jezreel and is threatened by one woman. Jezebel. And Jezebel says, I'm going to do to you, Elijah, what you have done to those prophets of Baal. And Elijah ran away. Pastor Darrell might say, Amen. Take that on board, people. Listen to your wives. Let's close in prayer. But there's a lot that has been happening that we possibly overlook in this passage of Scripture. The first thing that begins to hinder Elijah's relationship with God is that he begins to fear. It says here, 
Then he was afraid. And it's interesting because this is one of those translations where they're trying to get the heart of the meaning and things like that. If you've got a King James before you, the King James won't actually say, then he was afraid. It will say, and when he saw that, so what it's speaking about is speaking about the threat that is before him. It's speaking about what uh, Jezebel has said. And so Elijah's focus has shifted from the one true God, the Almighty, the all-powerful, who's been empowering him and equipping him and calling him to do what he has, and has shifted to Jezebel. It's shifted to the threat that Jezebel has made. And is that threat any greater than the threat he faced a couple of days previously with all those people? I don't think so. But this, this threat is made. His focus is no longer on God, but it's on this woman and what she has said. And so his faith ends up being replaced with fear. And that's a significant thing. When we begin to fear, we're losing faith in the one who can provide us all things, the one who can sort of alleviate those fears, those one, the one that we should be trusting in. And so obviously that's a very dangerous place for us to be as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. When we focus on something that causes us to take our eyes off the Lord, regardless of what that is. We lose sight of his promises. We forget all that he has done for us. And we don't invite him into our circumstances or situations. But do you think God wants to be invited into those situations, into our everyday things? Do you think he wants to walk with us? Even when what we're facing seems to be impossible, even when what we're facing seems to be insurmountable, do you think God wants to be a part of that? This is your loving Heavenly Father. This is the one who cares for us so much, who sent his son to die for you and for me. I want you to think about Peter in Matthew 14. I, I just love this guy. And Peter's, Peter's in this boat and there's this storm raging and Jesus walks on the water and these guys are in great fear and Jesus says, don't fear, it's me. And Peter says, well, Lord, if it's really you, call me out on the water. And, and what happens? Peter steps out of the boat. I don't know what that first step would have been like, can you? He steps out onto the water and I don't know if it gave a little bit first or if he just stepped onto something that was solid, but he steps out on the water and his eyes are fixed firmly upon Jesus and he begins to walk to him. And then he looks around and he sees the wind and he sees the waves. His eyes have shifted off the Lord and he begins to fear again. I would have too. I don't think I would have even got out of the boat to be quite honest. And he begins to sink. I want you to think about Elisha's servant in 2 Kings 6. And he wakes in the morning and he steps outside and he looks to the mountains and he sees all the armies that are surrounding him and Elisha and he thinks they're done in. And Elisha is cool, calm and collected. Why? Because Elisha knows the power of the Lord. Elisha knows what God can do. In the story of Matthew, when we talked about Peter walking on the water, why is it we so often forget that when he sank, he had to get back to the boat? And Jesus came alongside and he lifted him from that sinking water. How did they get back to the boat? They walked on the water, guys. And they did it together. When we think about Elisha and his servant, Elisha prays to the Lord, Lord, will you let him see what I see? Will you allow him to know your power? 
and the servant looks outside and suddenly there's this vast heavenly army protecting them. When we keep our eyes on the Lord, when we see all that he's doing, there is nothing that can come against us. But when we focus on our circumstances, when we focus on our situation, when we focus on the insurmountable odds, we will be undone. We will be fearful. We will be without hope. But God wants us to stay focused on him regardless of our situations and circumstances, regardless of what comes our way. But Elijah bolted. He was afraid. You know how far, how far he ran? 173 kilometres, somewhere thereabouts. I don't know if there was smoke coming off his feet as he went. I don't know how his servant kept up with him. But he gets to Bathsheba and he leaves his servant there. And that, that is significant. He leaves his servant in Bathsheba and Elijah travels for another day. And Elijah's been this man of faith, been this man who trusted the Lord. But suddenly... He becomes fearful for his own safety and he runs from Jezebel and her threat and he gets out into this wilderness and he finds this tree and he lays under it and he is so disheartened, so defeated, he wants to give up. He doesn't have the guts to take his own life so he says, Lord, please take my life from me. He begins to look at himself and his failures. He says, I am no better than my father's. Maybe that's true, but God didn't bring that up. Elijah has put himself before God. He's put himself before God's word. He's put himself before God's commands. And he is forgetting everything that God has done. He is forgetting the power of the Lord that he worships. Think about what happens here in 10. He says he's been very jealous for the Lord. He says that you know Israel has forsaken the covenant. They've torn down the altars. They've killed all of the prophets by the sword. And I, I'm the only one left. There's no one else, Lord. It's just me. Poor little Elijah. It's like Elijah saying, I've done everything you have asked of me, God. And for what? Israel's not following you. I expected them to turn and follow you. They're not walking with you, Lord. They've left you and your covenant. And they've killed all of your prophets. It's only me. I'm the only one left. Me. Just me, Lord. When the Lord allowed fire to fall from heaven... This is an incredible story, isn't it, the one we had? The fire comes from heaven. It consumes what's on the altar. It consumes the wood that has been saturated in water. It consumes the altar that has been made of rock. It consumes the water that is in the channels around that altar. It consumes the very earth that it sat on. It was an incredibly powerful thing that God did. And all the people of Israel did what? They fell on their face. The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. They said it twice, which in Hebrew means this is important. This is a declaration. This is something we're going to hold fast to. And Elijah says, Israel has turned away from you. They don't follow you. And yet he's seen the opposite. He's seen what has happened. And isn't it amazing how we distort the truth when our problems seem to be so big before us? When we're emotional, things are so hard. 
Think about Obadiah too, the king's faithful servant. He is serving the king, but he's serving God and he's serving God first and foremost. It's Obadiah who protected a hundred of the prophets. He hid them away in a cave and he's been feeding those hundred prophets. Despite the fact that if King Ahab found out, Obadiah would be put to death. And yet Elijah says, all of them are dead. There is none except me. I'm the only one left. Have you noticed how our situations seem to be so much worse when we lose sight of God? Elijah doesn't remember any of this. He doesn't remember anything that God has done. And he's caught up in this, physical, this, this um, perfect storm, isn't he? He's physically exhausted. Um, he, he has been ministering uh, on Mount Carmel. And that would have been physically exhausting. That would have been mentally exhausting. It would have been spiritually exhausting. He ran straight after that without having any food that we know of before Ahab's chariot from Mount Carmel to Jezreel. Then he's got this fear and he's pumped again and he takes off once more and he goes 173 k's. We don't know about food and water along that journey. We know that he would have had to have some, but the whole thing is a massive pressure on him. So he's just exhausted. He's physically and mentally drained. But in the midst of that, his main reason for failure is he lost sight of God. He failed to see God in the midst of everything. He listened to Jezebel and her threats and failed to wait on God and his promises. He was so down that he prayed to God that he might die. And he's not on his own there. Moses prayed the same prayer. Jonah prayed the same prayer. Jeremiah said it would have been better if I'd never been born. I've said it and I know some of you have thought the same. But that isn't God's way. When he comes alongside us, his way centers us once more. I love how God comes alongside Elijah at this time. When God comes onto the scene after Elijah has run away, he ministers to him in a very practical way. Behold, an angel touched him and said, Arise and eat. No sermons, no lectures. No rebukes, no pointing out the error of his ways. God is simply present with Elijah. He makes no commands. He gently meets his immediate need. Elijah needs personal revival. He needs to be restored to that place where he hungers and thirsts for God again, where he willingly restores God as his first love and willingly submits to God in humble service for him. And yet God doesn't even go there. He's so gentle with Elijah. And I think many of us see God as holding a baseball bat or bolts of lightning. So when we step out of line, he's just going to whack us into submission or clean us off the face of the earth. That's not the way God works. We have a God who is long-suffering and patient with us. His grace is constantly poured out upon us, just like he does and did for Elijah. And although Elijah ran from God, God is present with him, even in the wilderness. When we run away, God is still faithful to us despite our failings. And Hebrews 13.5 tells us God will never leave us, never forsake us. That's a promise of scripture that we should claim. 
God provided for Elijah, even though Elijah was in a place of his own choosing, outside of God's will and purpose. And God was still concerned for him. And he's concerned for every one of us, the single sheep that wanders. How many times has God done that for us? I know there's been times in my life when I've run from God's will and purpose. And he continued to care for me. He continued to show his love, his compassion. And in the midst of that, sometimes in the ways that God's called me back, he's done the miraculous to make that happen. And he's done the same here for Elijah. God provides for him, not just in a general sense, but miraculously. He has this food and water that miraculously appears, but then the last lot of food and water that's given to him is enough to energise him for 40 days and 40 nights. God provides for us. But God is also patient. And isn't that evident in how he brings Elijah back to full health and strength before dealing with the fact that Elijah had run off on his own? God doesn't write Elijah off. He still has a plan and purpose for Elijah. Uh, But he allowed Elijah to come to the very end of himself so that Elijah would need to look back at God again, would realize his desperate need of the Lord. But God is patient with us too. If I got what I deserved, I would be abandoned by God. I'd be rightfully judged and cast out. But when I have failed, he hasn't abandoned me. He faithfully waits for me to realise my mistake and return to him. Why? Because I'm still breathing. If I'm still breathing and following the Lord, he hasn't done with me yet. And that's true for each one of you. He has a plan and purpose for each and every one of us. He has a plan and purpose for me. Regardless of age, ability, life expectancy or character, he will use us and our futures for his glory if only we will let him and submit to him. He knows the plans he has for us. He knows that they're plans for welfare and not for evil. And he intends to give us a future and a hope. That's an eternal future and hope, my friends. Even when we mess up, God can and will still use us if we return to him. He will never leave us. Just like Elijah, we can walk away from him. And there's consequences for that. Elijah never attains the prominence he once had. So there's always consequences for our actions. But God does recommission him. And so there's the restoration Part of our relationship with God involves being disciplined and rebuked at times by God. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. The Lord reproves him who he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. And I could put up dozens of passages like that. God's word, not my word. God is considerate and compassionate. But he won't leave matters undealt with. God knows what lies at the heart of this issue with Elijah. Elijah had sin, pride and disobedience in his heart. 
And that needed to be dealt with. He had put what he thought was good and right before what God had instructed him to. And it's interesting when we look at the interaction that comes in this verse. Elijah came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, What are you doing here? Elijah arrives at Mount Horeb. Now, we, we don't know why he went there. He hasn't been instructed to go there. But this mountain is hugely significant to the people of Israel. This is where Moses had met God in the burning bush. This is where God had handed down the law to his people Israel. And so perhaps Elijah had come here hoping for some great revelation from God. And in a way there was. But not like Elijah may have been expecting. He simply gets asked, what are you doing here, Elijah? This is the other foot falling. This is God um, addressing the spiritual issue between them. God has restored Elijah physically, but there's more work that needs to be done. And I'm sure there's many of us who can testify to the times that God has called us to examine why we're where we are. What are you doing here? Elijah does that. And initially, he wants to remind God of all he has done for God, how he's faithfully served God without help from anyone, because there was no one else. Have you ever felt like you're the only person going through what you're facing right now, what you have faced? That God or anyone else no one, in fact, cares about what it's really like. No one could possibly know that God needs to be reminded that you are his child and he should be paying more attention to you. He should be answering your prayers the way you want him to answer them. Think back to where Elijah boldly declared back in 1 Kings 17.1 that he stands before the Lord God of Israel, the one true living God. Now it is God who caused Elijah to stand before him. Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. I believe this is the restoration of Elijah, but it's also a rebuke. God wants him to realize his sin. I don't think what happens in the next couple of verses is a coincidence. This is Elijah looking for the incredible, the spectacular, and God gives it to him. The Lord is about to pass by and there's a mighty wind that tears the mountains apart. Could you imagine what that would be like to stand and witness that? But that's not the Lord. Then there's this mighty earthquake, but the Lord's not in the earthquake either. Then there's this incredible fire, but the Lord is not in the fire. And after all of these things have passed, all these spectacular, incredible displays of power are passed, God is not in any of them. <clears throat> it would seem that God has showed Elijah the spectacular, the incredible. But he had to learn that God is so often in the little things. Amen. Elijah failed to see so much because he was focused on himself. Elijah assumed that he was forsaken, that he was on his own, that he was abandoned and deserted. But God reminded him that there were 7,000 who had not bowed to any false god. 7,000 who had remained faithful to him. 
Elijah assumed that he was finished, that his life and ministry was over, and he was ready to die, and even asked God to take his life. But God reminds him that even though Elijah had messed up, he still has some things he needs Elijah to do. And this all happens at this moment. As Elijah stands before God, God called him back to that place where nothing else matters. It's him and God once more. There are people here today who are abundantly blessed. They are standing before God. They've got their stuff together. And I'm not saying that sarcastically. I mean it. There's some people who are really engaged with God. They're enjoying their lives. They're filled with the wonder and awe and blessing of God going with them and before them into their days in all that they're doing. And I don't want to take that from you. May God continue to bless you richly and abundantly. May his word continue to spur you on to greater and greater works for him. Not because of who you are, but because of who he is and because you stand before that one true God. He alone is your source and provision, and you know that. But I'm sure that there's many here also who are not in that place, who want to be, who need to be, but they're not sure how to get back there. And I want to speak to that first group of people again. If you're part of that first group, if you've engaged with God, if you know what it's like to stand before him daily and you're spurred on by him, you may have a role to play in the lives of those who aren't yet there. Those who need to come back there. Those who are not at the moment standing fully before the one true God. All of us are on a journey and we're on different parts of that journey. You may need to be the practical outworking of God in their lives. It may be you who is called to provide the meals that were provided to Elijah. It may be you who's called to come alongside and not point out all the mistakes and errors or anything like that, just to sit and be with them and be an encouragement and pray with them if they ask you to. He may be calling you to show patience and compassion and love and care to them. No sermons, no pointing out their sins, no pointing out their issues. God didn't do that straight up for Elijah. He provided for his needs first. Let's be doing that for each other. Let's show that care and love and compassion as God did. But we all need to get that that place. We all need to be standing before the one true God. We need to be willing to serve him humbly. And so we need to restore him in his rightful place as king, as Lord and saviour of our lives, where we shift our focus from those things that distract us from him and focus fully upon him once more. Realign our lives with him first and foremost. Are you facing what seems to be an insurmountable issue or problem? Are you in that place where it seems there's one trial after another and all hope has been sucked out of you? Do you feel defeated, unloved, overwhelmed? As harsh as it seems, 
Why do your problems appear so big and God appears so small? If God is really God, he is in control. Do you believe that? If he is in control, then we need to let go of the wheel. We have to relinquish total control to him of every situation, of every circumstance. And we have to trust that he knows best and that his righteous will be exonerated. I've been blessed to be with people who have absolutely nothing. And when I say nothing, I mean nothing. No food, no home, just the clothes on their back. And yet they have this incredible joy because they have Jesus. I've seen people suffering through depression, fear, anxiety, broken relationships, and so much more. I'm dealing with a family in the church right now who's going through the most horrendous situation. Some people seem to handle it better than others. Same situations, same circumstances, but some seem to handle it better than others. And it has been my experience that the ones who do better are the ones who are walking closer to God, the ones who are trusting him, regardless of their situation and circumstances. And I believe we can all experience that. Is what Paul speaks of. He's been in each and every situation you could possibly imagine. And yet, he's content because he knows the Lord and he walks with him. Paul experienced that. Elijah experienced that. So many people sitting around you have experienced the same thing. I believe you can too. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you it's challenging, Lord. And Lord, I, I know there's people who desperately want to be in right relationship with you, but they're just caught in a moment and they can't see their way out of that. Lord, will you allow them to lift their eyes to you just like Psalm 121 says? That's where our help comes from. Our help comes from you, Lord. And I pray that our faith and trust will be in you only, not in our abilities, not in the help that can come from around us, not in some great scheme which will help us get ahead, Lord, but our confidence will only be in you. So, Lord, take this message this morning. Help us not to forget. Help us to trust you fully. And help us to lean more heavily upon you in those most difficult times. And Father, if we know a Christian brother or sister who is suffering, I ask that we'll be those who come alongside and provide for them their physical needs first, Lord. And just love on them. I pray this in Jesus' name. Let me finish with a word from Romans 15. Our desire is that we will be 
united totally in the Lord. So this week, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another